0: Bibles, grab your Bibles. If you need a, if you need an outline, if you need an outline, raise your hand. Raise your hand. You sinner. No. All right, bring an outline. Anybody helps? We need some help with the outlines. Help with the outlines. If, re, if you need one, raise your hand. Who's gonna help me? Anybody gonna help me? Where is Johnny Lawrence? All right. Somebody passing them out. Grab them. Help me, Mr. Yearwood. Anybody on this side? They're coming. They're coming. I promise you. I promise you, coming. Anybody got an outline? Here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, last week, you need an outline over here. Anybody raise your hand? They're coming. They're coming. There you go. So, raise it real high so they can see you. All right. Here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, last week, I, I kind of got going kind of quick and 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 kind of confused a few people. So we're gonna we're gonna do this. I hadn't done this in a while. Uh, go back and review. And kind of give you a brief summary of each chapter. So we're going to go all the way back to chapter number 1. And start there. And give you just a brief... Uh, uh, what's the... What's the, what's the uh, cliff notes. Right? Cliff notes. Uh, uh, cliff notes version of each chapter. And, uh, and then... And then I'm going to give you just a summary. Just a summary of what Revelation is all about. Alright? At the end if we have time... And, and we'll do that. All right. So if you'll look in Revelation chapter one, let's go all the way back to chapter number one and, uh, and, and we'll read just verse number one. Okay. Revelation one and verse number one. <clears throat> How many of y'all glad to be saved? Amen. I am too. I am too. All right. Revelation chapter one and verse number one, the, <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. That's what it is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, uh, the revealing of Christ, God's Son. God gave it to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. All right, now look down. Look down in verse 19. Everybody look down in verse 19, okay? In verse 19 it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which... Are, and the things which shall be hereafter. hereafter. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for this good crowd tonight. And thank you for a privilege that we have to just, just study your word and read your word and, and go over again uh, what we've learned and, and, and what we've received. God, I pray as we take our time tonight, I pray that you'll help us to, to recollect and, and, and bring back to memory the things we have learned in the past. And uh, just to concrete and cement these things into our minds. And Lord, uh, if there's something new that we missed before, Lord, bring it to our, uh, uh, bring it to our minds and, and our memory. And Lord, I pray that your perfect will be done tonight. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you so much for giving us a place to come and study. Thank you so much for giving us your word that we can depend on, we can trust it, we can believe it. And God, I pray that your perfect will be done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. As we go through this, as we go through this, I'm not, I'm not sure how much time it's going to take to do this because I'm going to have to uh, comment some on, on these, some will be short, some will be a little bit longer. Uh, you don't really have to write down anything. I did that on purpose tonight, uh, uh, so I mean you can, I'm, obviously I'm going to say something that's not on that paper, so if you want to, you can. But I wanted to put everything in your hands with no blanks whatsoever so you can focus, all right? So you can stay with me. Sometimes sometimes uh, I get to going fast and you're trying to fill in the blanks and, and you get behind. And once you get behind, it's hard to catch up, almost impossible. If that makes sense, say amen. So if you want to relax tonight, if you want to relax tonight, put your pen down and just listen. And, and, and just uh, take this in as we go. You can do that. Or if you want to take notes, whatever cranks your tractor, it's America. Do what you want to do. Say amen. All right, chapter 1. Chapter 1. Here's what we need to understand, and here's what we need to keep in our minds. Uh, Verse number 1, chapter number 1, verse number 1 of Revelation says it all. Okay, it is the unveiling, it is the revealing of Jesus Christ, God's son. God, in the conclusion, is saying, this is what I want you to know about my son. This is what I want you to know about Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior, all right? And and so he begins to share that. Then at the end of, uh, uh, or almost the end of that chapter, in chapter number one, we find in verse 19, he gives us an outline of the whole book, right? He gives us an outline. He says, write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter one, write the things which are, in other words, present day that John was writing, that's chapters two and three, and then the, the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapter four, All the way to the end of the book, all right? And so as we do this, keep that in mind. This is about Christ. It's all about Christ, amen? And so uh, uh, let's look at this. Chapter number one, chapter number one. What do we find in chapter number one? We find the vision of a resurrected Lord, all right? We find the Lord revealed to us. First, there's an explanation of the book. That's, That's verse one. Verse one and verse nineteen. If you, if you are taking notes or you got a pen in, your hand, you want to do this. You can put beside that verse one and verse nineteen an explanation of the book and the, and the vision of the resurrected Christ is Lord. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Because a lot of people, a lot of people, still have in their mind uh, a, a vision of Christ on the cross. I mean, you see it. You see it in pictures. You see it in relics. You see people having it around their necks, crucifix with him on the cross. That's not Jesus, and that's not where he's at right now. He's not on the cross, and he's not in the tomb. He's on the throne. He's our resurrected Lord. He is the Lord. He's the sovereign Lord. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Say amen. amen. He's Lord. He's Lord, all right? So we see him As Lord, the vision of the resurrected Christ as Lord. And we have the outline in verse 19, okay? Chapter 2. Chapters 2 and 3 go together, all right? Chapter 1 is on its own. Chapters 2 and 3 go together. This is the instructions to the seven churches, all right? In each one of these letters, there's seven letters to seven specific churches, right? Uh, The churches in Asia there uh, uh, that were primarily... Uh, given to us so that we could see that every church has issues. Every church has issues. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Why? Because the church is made of people. And how many of y'all know people are imperfect? We're, we're, it just is what it is. There's no perfect church. Every every church has issues and every church needs some help in, in areas. And so there's seven churches, seven areas of issues that they have, and he gives them instructions. He says, look, I'm with you. I'm there in the church. Uh, I, I'm in the, amongst the church, and I know thy works. I know everything going on. I know everything about it. I know what you need. I know what you need to stop. I know what you need to start. I know what you need to fix. So he gives them this help. Are you all with me? So practical help. But the main thing, the main thing that you need to take from chapters 2 and 3, and this is my... Opinion. I, 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 t- I usually say I'll never give my opinion in the pulpit, but I, I just got to do it here. But I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that this is my opinion. The main thing that you need to take from chapters 2 and 3, and the most important thing you can take from this, is he's given you a prophetic history of the church. If you take those seven letters, you can find a direct uh, link, a direct history of the church from Pentecost all the way to rapture. Okay. In other words, what God is saying, I know what my church is going to end up being. I know what it's going to be when it starts. I know the middle of it, and I know the ending of it. I know that it's going to start on fire. I know it's going to start guns a-blazing. I know they're going to have a love and a care, and they're going to go wide open. They're going to leave their first love, and they're going to get, at the end, they're going to be lukewarm. Lay out of sea in church, right? So he gives us a picture of the church. He gives us a picture of his bride, the bride of Christ. All right, that's chapters two and three. We see the whole, the whole church in a panoramic form from the beginning to the end. And it's not real glorious. Now, let me say this too. Let me say this too, just to keep this in your mind. The church that you see in chapters two and three, especially toward the end, is the church that the world sees. It's the church that the world sees. Now, preacher, what do you mean by that? What what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is is the church as a whole from the world's point of view is going to be seen as as lackadaisical, is going to be lukewarm. But even in the midst of all of that, God will still have people. He will still have a true-hearted church that's on fire, that's trying to be a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age. Are y'all with me? But it doesn't look good for the church. I mean, it, 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 there's a degradation that goes downward. And, and in the end, in the end, it's going to be bad. Paul said it, there's going to be perilous times. It's going to be difficult. So we see chapters 2 and 3, we see the church. After that, after that, that brings us to chapter 4. Okay, chapters 4 and 5. I believe with all my heart that chapters 4 begins with a picture of the rapture. What do we see in the beginning of chapter number 4? We see a picture of John being raptured out. Okay? He says, I heard a voice. This is chapter number, uh, chapter number 4, verse 1. He said, I heard a voice behind me as it were a trumpet talking to me, saying, Come up hither. Say that with me. Come up, Come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So we see the division that we found in verse 19 of chapter 1. You remember, write the things thou hast seen. Chapter 1, the vision of the resurrected Lord right? The things which are, that's present day. That's the churches, right? The seven churches. We are in the church age right now. At the end of the church age, there's going to be a rapture. I believe that's chapters 4, verse 1. He said, I will show thee things which must be come on everybody, which must be hereafter. Now, what what do we see? John is raptured out. He's taken up and, and he's in heaven. There's a door open in heaven and in and, and, and a twinkling of an eye, boom, he's there. There he is in the throne room. Now, Here's what I want you to see. Chapters 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5 is the scene in heaven, okay? The scene in heaven during the tribulation period. Seven years of tribulation, chapters 4 and 5 is the scene in heaven, all right? Now, why is that important? Because you got to understand, as we begin chapter 6, that is the scene on earth, okay? That is the scene on earth. They are happening at the same time. Chapters 4 and 5 and chapter 6, which is the judgments coming upon earth, are parallel. They're happening at the same time. In other words, while the church is up in heaven worshiping the Lamb, the earth is being judged. The judgment begins here on earth. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay? That's very important for you to understand. It's very important for you to understand as a believer... As a part of the body of Christ, as a part of the church, you will be raptured out before the judgment of the tribulation begins. The 24 elders that we find represent the believers, represent the church, okay? This is in chapters 4 and 5. All right, we see, we see what do we, what, what we see taking place? In the beginning, we see a picture of the rapture. Secondly, we see the scene in heaven of the rapture of the church and during the tribulation period. Third, the 24 elders represent the Old Testament saints and the church. Now, what is what is taking place? What is taking place? Mainly worship. All right? Mainly worship. That is what's taking place in heaven uh, uh, after we are raptured out. And there's there's singing going on. And there's singing going on. In chapter 4, we find a song. In chapter 5, we find a song. But it's all worship. In chapter 4, God is being praised the redeemers being praised because he made all things. So in what is worship? What is worship? It, we tie the word worthy. Now here's this is really important. Worthy worship. So what is worship? It's worth th worthship. It's you you excess, or, or, or you giving God what he is worthy of? Are y'all with me? So why is he worthy? Chapter 4, chapter 4, we find he's worthy because he made us. He's worthy because he's our creator. We should bow down and show he's worthy because he made us. Revelation four eleven. Thou art worthy, for thou hast created all things, thou hast made all things. You've created all things for thy pleasure. They are and were created. See, that's the first song of worship, all right? Then the second song is in chapter 5. What happens in chapter 5? We see that the Lamb steps forward. There is a book, the title deed of the earth is seen. And the Lamb steps forward to take the book because no man was worthy. And and that was one of the questions given to me in the box. Uh, Why why was he the only one allowed to look at the, at the, 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 the seven sealed book? It was because it's the title deed of the earth and Jesus is the only one that has a right to it. And the reason that is is because not only who he is but what he did. He paid the redemption price. He is the owner. He is the rightful owner to claim this earth. That makes sense? Amen. So when that takes place, they begin to sing a new song. All right. When Jesus steps forward, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, when he steps forward to take claim of the earth and to take back what the devil stole from Adam, and we'll talk about that in the summary, when he does that, man, they start singing again, but they sing a new song, it says. They sing a new song. Not the old song. The old song was, He's worthy because He made us. But now they sing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and blessing and power. Why? Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, and tongue. What's He saying? They are singing, He's worthy because He saved us. He's worthy because He made us. Chapter 4, Chapter 5. He's worthy because He saved us. So what are we going to be doing? We're going to be worshiping, we're going to be in the glory. We're going to be singing. It's going to be awesome. Say amen. Amen. All right. So we find that in chapters 4 and 5. All right. Let's review. Chapter 4 and 5 is the scene in... Come on, everybody. It's the scene in... Heaven. Heaven. All right. Now we begin. And this is what you need to understand. From chapter 6... From chapter 6 to 19... From chapter 6 to 19... It is primarily the scene on, on earth or the, the happenings on earth during the judgment period of the tribulation. Okay? Now, periodically through that, we'll, we'll, we'll see something happen in heaven, but it's about what's fixing to happen on earth. So primarily, what's happening from chapter 6 to chapter 19 is what's happening on earth during the tribulation period. Is everybody with me so far? All right, all right. Now... There's seven, there, there seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven vile judgments. I'm going I'm to skip ahead if you, if you want to write that. The, the judgments come in three different sets, okay? Three different sets of judgments will take place during the tribulation period. The seals are the first set. They will be, the, as, in other words, as he opens a seal in that book, something will happen on the earth. And he opens another seal, something will happen on the earth. Jur- judgment begins. And then after the seven seals, then we'll find seven trumpet judgments. In other words, angels will blow a trumpet and something will happen on this earth. Judgment will fall upon this earth, a certain type of judgment. Then at the end, toward the very end of the tribulation period, they're called bold judgments or vile judgments. They will pour it out on the angels are taking place and they are pouring out judgment on this earth. Okay, we all good? All right, the judgment begins. Let's start with chapter 6. Judgments begin. The church is in heaven. They're worshiping their Savior. They're in the glory. They're in the throne room. But on earth, it's a different story. Judgment begins. The first thing we find is a political figure steps forward. He's described by the white horse rider in chapter number 6. A white horse with a bow in his hand, no arrow, meaning he's a political figure. He's coming and he's getting power by deception He's not by, not, by, not by military might yet, but by deception. He's deceiving people. He's going to be the world hero that everybody's been looking for. He's going to deceive God's people, the nation of Israel. According to the book of Daniel, he's going to sign a treaty. He's going to sign a peace pact with the nation of Israel for seven years. Seven years, okay? So he comes forward as a hero. He comes forward on the white horse. But then what happens? War breaks out. The red horse we see, the second seal is open and the red horse comes forward. So what is taking place during that, that seven-year tribulation? First, there's a political figure that steps on the scene. Then we see wars breaking out everywhere. There's civil wars. There's, there's internal wars. Wars all over the planet, all over the planet, fighting. Uh, brother against brother, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. All right? During this period of time, when the wars break out, guess what? When everybody's at war fighting and all the young men are fighting instead of growing food, what takes place? A famine. A famine. Nobody's there to grow the corn. Nobody's there to grow the wheat. They're all fighting. They're all, listen, they're spending all their money on on weapons. They're spending all their money on warfare. Nobody's spending it on agriculture. And so because of that, now we have famine. What is famine? It's a lack of food. All right, we have no concept of that in our, our world today. Not, and when I say our world, I'm talking about in America. I mean, there's never a time you can go any, before you make it to 31, there's 12 places to eat, right? So we, we don't understand that. But in a world that, especially biblical times, everything was agriculture, and if it didn't rain, you didn't eat. And so famine was prevalent. You look in Africa there is famines going on right now. People are dying right now because of famines. Well, during this time, it's going to be a worldwide event, and there's going to be people, there's going to be people that are dying because of famine. We find that with the last horse, the next seal that's open, we see that there's going to be death, the, the pale horse. OK? So famine breaks out, and, and one quarter, one quarter of the Earth's population dies during this time. OK? Then what do we see? In chapter number 6, we find that that we see a picture of the tribulation martyrs. Those who lose their life, those who lose their life that are believers, that get saved during the tribulation period, they're going to say, God, when are you going to bring vengeance? God, when are you you going to avenge our deaths? And he says, you just be patient, be patient, it's all coming. So we see a picture of those who have died during the tribulation period. Then a great earthquake takes place in chapter number six. Heavenly disasters take place. In other words, so far, what's been taking place has been, and I put in quotes, man-made. In other words, political uh, 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 people fighting against each other. It's not really obvious that God is behind the scenes causing this stuff to happen. It just. How many of y'all? If if a war breaks out on this planet, how many of y'all would be surprised? Nobody would, because it happens. It happens. It's part of life. People, people are, 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 you know, they're greedy and and they want what somebody else has. Boom, war breaks out. I mean, that's just it is what it is. So so far, this world is kind of oblivious to to what's taking place. But then supernatural events take place that affect the sun and affects the 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 the, the, the stars in the sky. Now. Everybody's thinking, uh uh-oh, what's going on? What's going on? Something's happening. Something's happening that's not right. All right? Great earthquakes, heavenly disasters, supernatural events take place. Stars fall out of the sky. The sun gets blackened out. And they understand that God's behind the scenes. God is up to something. All right? Chapter 7. We see there's kind of a, there's kind of a, God says, God says, time out, time out. I want to show you a picture of something. That's what chapter 7 is. Chapter 7 is the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Now, why are they important and why are they needed? Because the church, who is the witness for Christ today? The church. What happened at the rapture? The church is raptured out. God is not going to be left without a witness. So he seals, he seals, and I, 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 anyway, I'm going to just stay with what we're doing. Uh, One hundred forty-four thousand believers in Christ. They believe. I believe. I'm gonna just say this, and you can put it whatever you want to put it. I believe they believe the witness of the two witnesses that we're going to read about here in the future, and understand everything in Revelation is not always in chronological order, but they are they are sealed by God. In other words, they're going to be protected during this period of time uh, of the tribulation. They're going to be protected. And they're gonna, and God's gonna save one hundred forty-four thousand Jewish missionaries. Imagine one hundred forty-four thousand Billy Graham's going all over the planet. Okay, that's what's happening. That's what's going to take place. So he stops, he pauses the action to let you know that he's fixing to seal a bunch of missionaries. And then in that same chapter, in chapter number seven, we see he gives you, he gives you a picture of all the people that get saved I believe from the witness of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. What is he showing you? He's not only showing you that he's going he's not going to be left without a witness on this earth, but he's showing you that they're going to be very effective in their preaching. There's going to be there's going to be countless millions of people who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period because of the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish missionaries that God is sealing and sending out. If that makes sense, say amen. We see them up in heaven. They have been been martyred for their faith, but they are believers and they are in heaven because of the witness, I believe, of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, all right? Chapter eight. Am I going too fast or do I need to slow down? Is everything good? If it ain't, tell me. Because I promise you, I will slow down. I get excited and I start getting faster, and I don't mean to. so so let's let's do this. All right. The church is raptured out, but God is not going to be left without witnesses. So He seals one hundred and forty four thousand Jewish missionaries to send them to all over the world. All right, chapter eight. We see the judgments continue. All right. The timeout is out now. He, he goes back to the action taking place on earth. Chapter eight. When the seventh seal is open, the trumpet judgment begins, so now we begin the second set of judgments to take place on earth now if 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 you if you notice if you hadn't noticed yet, you will by the time we get to the uh, further on end of this deal, but uh God increases the intensity of the judgments. How many of y'all have noticed that so far so we start we start here, but we just keep increasing it and increasing it and increasing it all right now. Chapter 8, the seventh seal is open and the trumpet judgments begin. What happens there? God sends a hailstorm with fire, lightning, all mixed in together, and one-third of all the trees and all green grass is destroyed. All right? Then a meteor, a meteor hits the ocean. One-third of all the sea becomes inhabitable, uninhabitable. One-third of sea life dies, and one-third of the ships destroyed, possibly from uh, a tidal wave, from the, from the meteor that's hitting. It's called, the, the Bible describes it as a great mountain that hits the ocean. And this is the, this is the results. Then a falling star called Wormwood uh, falls and hits the earth and uh, causes one-third of the earth's fresh water to become undrinkable. One-third of the earth's fresh water to become undrinkable. And then the sun loses a third of its ability to create light. So what do we find now? More darkness. More darkness. With a third of the sun gone, then there's going to be, it affects not only day, but it affects night also. The moon and the stars are reflecting less light. What is is God doing? Remember we said this earlier. The Bible says men love what rather than light? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were Evil. evil. So what is God doing? He's giving them what they He's giving them what they want. All right, chapter 9. Chapter 9. It gets really crazy. Locust-like demons are released out of hell to torment men on the earth. Locust-like demons are released out of hell to torment men on the earth. An army of 200 million demonic horsemen are released out of hell to destroy one-third of humanity. One-third of the population left on the planet. Men are killed by three things, fire, smoke, and brimstone. And brimstone is sulfur. You find it a lot, researchers have found it a lot around volcanoes. It's part of what, and, and, and I imagine this, I imagine this, if you stand there and you see what's coming out of a volcano, that's what it looks like. That's what fire, brimstone, right? Fire, brimstone, smoke, all of these things. So it it, it would be imagining this worldwide. Here's an amazing thing that we find in chapter 9. Read verse 4 for me. Men still refuse to repent of their wickedness and idolatry. Men still refuse to repent. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind before we go any further. You say, why does God start here with the judgments and he keeps increasing it and increasing it? Why didn't he just? Because God is long suffering. God is not willing that any should, but that all come to repentance. So what is he doing? He's trying to get man to turn to himself. We all have this idea, and I, I've seen it portrayed as that God is this meanie in heaven, and 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 and, and he's just a, it's just a monster to, to bring these type of judgments upon this earth. I mean, what kind of what kind of sick per? Well, guess what? Is as, as terrible as these judgments are, they're still not repenting. They're still not, but he's trying. He's trying, he's doing everything he can for them to turn back to him and repent. So keep that in mind, keep that in mind. All right, now chapter 10, chapter 10, we see a picture of Christ as an angel standing on this earth in victory, taking claim to the earth he has redeemed. Now keep in mind, we're going we're to talk about this in the summary in a minute, but This is is part of the redemption process. Remember, the tribulation is part of the redemption process. He redeemed man, in other words, paid for it. He paid for man uh, and, and paid for the redemption price at Calvary, right? What is redeeming? It means buying back. But part of the process is taking claim. It's not just paying, but it's possessing. Does that make sense? I can I can pay for something. I can pay for something. Say I say I go to the to, to the store and, and, and I redeem it or I pay for it. I can pay for it. How many of y'all have ever done this? How many of y'all have ever done this? All right, you, you've been through the the, the, the you, you walked through the uh uh, uh through the deal and, 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 and you gave them the product and they put it in the bag and you paid for it and walked out the door. Please tell me I'm not the only one that's done that. All right. You know what? That product was only halfway redeemed. It was only halfway redeemed. It was paid for, but I never took possession. See, at Calvary, at Calvary, Jesus paid for everything, including you. You remember there's three things that can be redeemed. A servant, land, and a bride. Okay? So, He paid for you. You are his bride. He paid for you. And one day he's going to take possession of you. He's going to come back and get you, as John 14 says. Amen. Amen. I will come again and receive you unto myself. I believe that's Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I believe that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Amen. It's a picture of the rapture. But there's something else that needs to be taken possession of that was stolen from Adam in the garden. The possession of his creation. In the tribulation period is that Jesus coming back to take possession. And I'm saying that because in chapter number 10, we see a victor standing on this earth claiming. When you put your foot on something, you're you're staking claim to it. What did did God tell Moses? And he told Joshua, wherever your foot steps, I have given it to you. Are you all with me? In the book of Joshua. So he's laying claim. And he screams with a loud voice. He roars like a lion. Claiming what's rightfully his. So we see a picture of Christ in victory. Taking claim to the earth he has redeemed. But then John is given more words of prophecy. He's given a book to eat. In chapter number 10. He's given a book to eat. And at first it's sweet. But when reality sets in. It becomes very bitter to his stomach. Now, what do we see there? It's very sweet to know that Jesus is going to redeem Israel. And Jesus is going to restore Israel. But it's also very bitter to know the process that it takes to make that happen. And all God's people say it. How many of y'all can look at the book of Revelation and and see Jesus coming back on a white horse in chapter 19 and celebrate that? How many of y'all can celebrate... The fact that he's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to rule with a rod of iron and we're going to rule with him, I can celebrate that. I can celebrate. I can celebrate the fact that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I can. I can sure celebrate the fact that he said that he's going to be our God and he's going to wipe our tears away. Amen. I can celebrate that. I, he's going to take away death. It's going to be gone. I can celebrate the fact that the devil's going to be taken away. Woo hoo! Say amen. I can celebrate the fact that there's going to be a new Jerusalem, there's going to be the city of God coming out of heaven, a street of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. I can celebrate all that, and that is sweet to know. But all these judgments, when I know what people are going to go through, when I know what people are going to experience because they refuse to repent, I know the pain and the suffering and the anguish and the deception that takes place because of Satan. That's very bitter. You see what I'm talking about? This is what John sees. So, chapter 10. So what do we have so far? So what do we have so far? Jesus begins the process of taking back what was stolen from Adam. We find judgments are taking place. The church is in heaven worshiping their Savior. And Jesus is bringing judgment upon this earth. And each judgment gets more intense as, as they come. There's three sets of judgments. As they come through, men still refuse to repent. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, we see two witnesses. Two witnesses. And we're not going to get into the debate and argument who they are. Whether they're Enoch and Elijah or Moses and Elijah or Julio and Clifford, you know, we don't, the Bible doesn't say who they are, it's not something to argue about, right? If you don't think so, then argue with what you want, but a mind changed against his will is what? Of the same opinion still. So if you think you got your way and they just agree with you to shut you up, you accomplish Zero. Because nobody on the planet can, can dogmatically say who they are. You know why? Because he didn't tell us. Now, if he wanted us to know, he would have told us. Let's just take for a fact that there's going to be two witnesses. Right? That's all we need to know. That God is going to have two specific witnesses that he's going to ordain, he's going to send, and they're going to preach. Okay? These two witnesses are introduced... And they're going to have supernatural powers to use during the time of their preaching. I believe that they're going to preach primarily in Jerusalem for three and a half years before the Antichrist will be able to kill them. All right. They're pri- I, I believe, I believe that the 144,000 Jewish witnesses believe because of the preaching of these two witnesses. And I believe their primary ministry is in Jerusalem because they're trying to reach God's people. Okay, because if you'll remember, God's people still hasn't accepted the Messiah. The 144,000 are going to go and they're going to reach the rest of the world. While these are still here irritating the Antichrist and the unredeemed. Okay, now these two witnesses, they're going to they're be killed by the Antichrist finally They're going to be killed by the Antichrist and they will be left to rot in the street and the earth celebrates their demise. People are so wicked, they're so wicked and they hate truth so bad that when these two preachers die, they're going to celebrate by sending gifts to one another. That's how bad it's going to be. They're going to celebrate the demise of these two witnesses by sending gifts to one another. Okay? They're not even going to give them the dignity of a burial. They're just going to let them rot in the street. But three and a half days later, they're going to get back up. Life is going to come back into them according to chapter number 11, and God's going to take them home. You know why? You know why? Their job is done. Their job is done. We see a great earthquake takes place in Jerusalem. 10% of the city is destroyed. And 7,000 people die. Then we see a picture, a future picture of the second coming of Christ in chapter 11. Now, if you'll remember, if you'll remember, if you're new tonight, sometimes, sometimes during the beginning parts and the mid parts of, of the book of Revelation... He will give you a small glimpse of something that's going to take place in the future. How many of y'all remember that? Say amen. amen. Well, this is a small glimpse of Christ's return. Okay? At the end, at the end of chapter number 11. All right? Now, chapter 12. Chapter 12. We see a picture of a woman. And it is a panoramic picture of Israel. Christ, and the devil's war against them. Okay? It is a picture of Israel, Christ, which is the man child, and the devil's war against them. All right? Now, so I I give you several things as far as, okay, what the woman represents. The woman described equals? That's Israel. Okay? That's a picture of Israel. The male child that's described in this chapter is a picture of? Christ. The dragon, obviously, he's a picture of, all right, a third of the stars that that Satan, the dragon, pulls out of heaven, they are, they're represented by the, the fallen angels that's deceived by Satan. And during this chapter, we find Israel flee to the wilderness during the tribulation and is protected by God there. Now, let me help you with that just a second. Everybody look at me. <clears throat> after three and a half years, after three and a half years, the antichrist, the political figure, the politician who has deceived the nation of Israel and their people into thinking he's their friend and he's a good guy. He's going to finally step into the temple that's gonna be rebuilt in in Jerusalem and he's gonna say, I am God. He's gonna stop them from them worshiping the way they used to. He's gonna stop the sacrifices. He's gonna stop their, their mode of worship and said, listen, from now on, I am God. You're going to worship me. When that takes place, that is called the abomination of desolation. That's spoken by Daniel, and it's also spoken of by the Lord Jesus, okay, in Matthew 24. When that takes place, Israel is going to say, uh-oh, we've been duped. And that is when Jesus told them, You better pray it's not in the Sabbath. You better pray your flight is not in the winter. In other words, you need to get out of there as fast as possible. And when that (laughs) takes place, there is going to be a mass exodus of Jews out of Israel fleeing to the wilderness because Satan is going to enter into the Antichrist and he's going to bring an all-out onslaught of slaughter to kill and destroy God's people. But supernaturally, we know God is going to protect them. He's going to hide them somewhere or another. He's going to protect and, and, and uh, uh, feed them, provide for them out in the wilderness. So he turns from that group that's escaped, and he comes and he fights the remnant that's still in Jerusalem and still in Israel to try to kill God's people. Okay? So that takes place. All right? All right. Chapter 13. <clears throat> chapter 13. So, what, is, what does that say to us? From the beginning of, of Israel's time, especially the time of Christ, Satan has tried to stop God's people. And he's tried to stop this man child. He's tried to stop this seed. And I'm going I'm to elaborate on that in the summary here in just a second. All right, chapter 13. We see another picture. We see another picture. We see a beast. Now, who is this? The Antichrist is described as a beast. Okay? This chapter 13 primarily deals with the time of the Antichrist and what happens and goes into more detail. Okay? The Antichrist is described as a beast. The Antichrist is killed and comes back to life, and the world is mesmerized by this. Now, remember, the Antichrist begins when we first see him what is he? Is he a warlord? What is he? He's a politician. He's a politician. All right? Some Sometime, sometime during his, during his reign, during his rule, during his time uh, in office, he is killed. All right? He's wounded unto death, the Bible says. And, and when this takes place, uh, the devil... The devil supernaturally brings him back to life. And when that takes place, the world is blown away. The world is blown away. And they'll think, man, who is like the Antichrist? Who is like this person? And we see, we we also see that he gets a helper. He gets a helper called the false prophet. All right? And the false prophet has the ability to deceive man and get man to worship. The beast, the Antichrist, all right? So we see two figures here that's really important, all right? The false prophet, which is going to be another human. The Antichrist is a human, okay? He is a human that's going to be used by the devil to deceive the world, all right? The the false prophet is going to be a religious figure, which is human, that's going to be used to deceive the world into following the Antichrist, all right? All right? The false prophet that support the Antichrist is introduced. The false prophet by deception causes all unsaved humanity to worship the Antichrist. He makes a statue. He builds an image, a statue. And then he causes it to come to life. It, it's able, The statue begins to speak. And it's animated. It comes to life. Uh, with the artificial intelligence that we have today, that's not unheard of. Now whether it's going to be that or real life, I'm not sure, but whatever it is, it's going to be used to deceive the world to worship the Antichrist. All right. Then we see the mark of the beast is introduced. All the world is going to be forced to get it or be executed. All right. And the execution is going to be by beheading. So what do we got so far? A political figure comes... He is the answer to all the world's problems. He's the answer to the crisis in the Middle East. He brings and he, he makes a pact with Israel and said, hey, we, we, we'll solve this. We'll let you have your your, your your little temple there and you can do your thing. And at, the, at three and a half years, he breaks their covenant. He breaks the treaty with them. And he says, I am God, you worship me. He forms he forms a one world government. Instead of the United Nations, instead of America, and all there's one there's one government. And there's one leader, and that's the Antichrist. Not only is there a one-world government, there's going to be a one-world religion. And the religion is the worship of the beast. It's the worship of the Antichrist, okay? Then there's going to be a one-world economy. It's going to be a one-world economy. It's not going to be used by paper money. It's not going to be used by credit card. It's going to be used by the beast, the mark of the beast. They're going to have to get a code put in their hand or in their forehead, and you will not be able to do business without it. You will not be able. See, he's got to control people somewhere or another. And this is a way to control the masses. This is the way to control humanity. And so this mark is going to be introduced. If you do not have this mark, you cannot buy. You cannot sell. You cannot do anything in the economy. So if you're a true believer in Christ, you're going to have very, very, a, a very difficult time in anything. You're going to basically starve to death. If you take it, then you can operate in society. But according to the Lord, if you take it, you'll be doomed. And we'll see that in the next chapter. All right? Now, so we see in this chapter a, a more vivid description of the Antichrist. We see an, a helper that he has is introduced. And then we see there is a mark that's, that's instituted to control the masses. All right, chapter 14, chapter 14. We see the 144,000 Jewish witnesses again, all right? But now, now they're seen with Christ in worship of him. All right, we see them now with Christ in worship of him. Now, instead of the 144,000 witnessing... Their ministry has ceased, and now God sends an angel with the everlasting gospel. So, so, so far during the tribulation period, first you had the, the, the witnesses, the two witnesses, their ministry ceased. Then you have the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, missionaries, their ministry ceased. Now, if this world and mankind won't listen to a spirit-filled man of God, surely... They're going to listen to an angel sent from heaven. Right? Can you see? Can you see in this? Can you see in this that God is truly doing everything possible for them to repent? He's not a meanie, He's not a monster, He's a God of mercy. And he's judging this world, but he's trying to bring them to him. Okay? Now, all right, let's go to the next. We see the warning to anybody who takes the mark, they're going to be condemned to eternal punishment. And now again, we see a future battle of Armageddon is described as the wine press of the wrath of God. Now, 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 if you want to initial this, if you want to initial beside that, put verse 19. Verse 19. And the reason that is, is the Battle of Armageddon doesn't officially take place till verse 19. This is just a glimpse. This is just a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. Does that make sense? Amen? Okay. You remember, various times, as through the book of Revelation, you're going to see something that's going to happen in the future. All right? Now, <clears throat> chapter 15. Chapter 15. We find tribulation martyrs. In other words, all those that have died at the hands of the Antichrist and have gone through and have stayed faithful to Christ and committed to Christ and would not take the mark. These tribulation martyrs are seen singing to God before his throne. They're victorious. And the way the chapter describes them as being victors, you say, but they died. Yeah, but God sees that as victory. When you see their end and you see the Antichrist's end, you would agree. Amen? All right. The tribulation martyrs are seen singing to God before his throne. And the angels are preparing themselves to deliver the final judgments upon this earth. The vile judgments or the bold judgments. So we see in chapter 15 a preparation to bring the final judgments upon this earth. All right, chapter 16. The final judgments begin and they're being poured out on the earth. The first thing that takes place is unrepentant unbelievers are given painful sores all over their bodies. And they still will not repent and they still blaspheme God. Then all sea life and fresh water is destroyed. All sea life and fresh water is destroyed. Then men are scorched with extreme heat and they blaspheme God the whole time. They know where it's coming from and yet they still blaspheme him. Then demons are sent out in in the form of frogs. It says that a frog comes out of the mouth of the false prophet in the image in the the Antichrist. These are demonic forms that go into all the earth deceiving men to come. What are they coming to? Armageddon. They're coming to Armageddon. Come and fight. Come and fight. Come. The devil is getting this world to come and help him because they have an enemy, and the enemy is the one that's been bringing all these judgments. I believe that's part of the uh, part of what he's going to use to get man to come and fight against Christ. He's going to convince them that all the bad stuff in the world is happening because of them, and we got to fight. We got to fight God. During chapter number 16, we find a worldwide earthquake destroys most of the cities on earth. And then great hailstones between 75 to 110 pounds fall upon this earth. And guess what? Go ahead and say it. You know, when, when God said that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, He was telling the truth. All of the things that God has tried so far to get man to turn and repent has failed. Chapter 17. Now, chapter 17 is where we was at last week. So if you got kind of confused, let's let's go slow through this. We find another image, a picture. And this picture is described as a prostitute. It's called the great whore. And the prostitute is a woman who is represented and is called Babylon. Well, she represents a false religious system. Okay, say that with me. A false religious system. Now, in other, and instead of calling it a denomination, you know, there's all kind of different denominations, let's say every religion is compiled into one because it really is. There's only two religions, guys. There's only, there's only two. There's not, there's not thousands and thousands of religions. There's only two. One is grace and one is works. All right, the two religions of this world have been wrapped up and, and really you can see them in Cain and Abel. Abel came by grace. Abel came by obedience to, and he brought a blood sacrifice and that's what God commanded. The innocent died for the guilty. Cain brought his works, the works of his hands. It's either works or it's grace. Grace is the only religion. It is the only belief that will get you to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world besides Christianity is a religion of works. You must do this to gain that. You must work works. You must accomplish good deeds. It's all works. Are y'all with me? Everyone. It's either grace or it's works. If it's works, it's not grace. If you can earn it, it's not grace. If it's grace, you can't do anything to earn it. It's all grace. Now, why is that important? Because every single religion in the world goes back All the way back to the book of Genesis to a man by the name of Nimrod. He was the first rebel to rebel against God. We see that in the Tower of Babel. All right, that system, that idea, that philosophy of rebelling against God and doing your own thing, that's what we're talking about. It has permeated the life of humanity all the way from that time, and it will be used by the Antichrist. This religious system is going to be used by the Antichrist in the end. And she is represented, God is is describing this religious system as a prostitute. Now, if that makes sense, say amen. So the woman we see in this chapter is described as a prostitute. It is the false religious system that's utilized by the Antichrist to control the world. The scarlet-colored beast represents who? The Antichrist. Okay, there are seven heads on this beast, which, according to the chapter, is the seven mountains, and also the mountains, as we found out in the Old Testament, represented kingdoms. And what are these kingdoms? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and the Antichrist's kingdom. Now, what did he say? Five have fallen. One is. What At the time of John's writing, you've got to keep this in mind, at the time of John's writing, what kingdoms have come and gone? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. They've come and gone. Who was ruling at the time of John's writing? Rome. Rome was. That's what that chapter is saying. Rome is, and the one that's coming... Is going to be the, the next major world kingdom that has to do with Israel will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. You say, what is, okay, let's keep on. I'm, I'm running out of time. Oh, my soul, help us, help us, help us. All right, the ten horns, the ten horns that are described. These are the ten world leaders during the time of the Antichrist rule, the ten world leaders that are going to be in confederation with the Antichrist. and give. In other words, there are going to be ten major players on this planet And they're going to give all of their authority and power to the Antichrist to rule. Okay? We see major nations. All of them are going to submit and give their authority and power to him to have a one world government. All right? The the religious system, the religious system that they use to deceive the people and control the people. Remember, military has never been able to conquer the world. Uh, Economics has never been able to conquer people. But religion Religion's always been used to manipulate and, and uh, control people. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, now, let me, give you, let me give you the brief summary. Let me give you the brief summary. Now, just put your pens down. You ain't writing because I got I to talk fast. I have 31 seconds. <clears throat> okay, here's a summary. Here's a summary, maybe just a, a, a little, and I, I put it in my own words. I put it in my own words to maybe help you understand what's happening in the book of Revelation, okay? Okay, listen real, real fast. In Genesis, in Genesis, we find that Satan has deceived man into rebelling against God and by doing so stole dominion of the earth from Adam and humanity. If you'll remember, God created this earth and he, gave, and he created Adam and he said, okay, here it is, it's yours. Have dominion, take dominion. In other words, he told Adam, you are the king of the earth, if that makes sense. I'm trying to put it in terminology we'll get, right? He said, take dominion. You're the king of the earth. All right? You're in charge. you the man. Have at it. But then Satan came. Satan came, deceived man. They rebelled against God, and he stole the earth. You say, how do you know that? The Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. When he told Jesus during the time of, of temptation in the wilderness, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus never refuted him. You know why? Because he's the God of this world. He has stolen this earth. He's the usurper who took it from Adam. But guess what Jesus... Oh, let me. I'm going to get ahead of himself. All right, when that took place, when that took place, when, when Satan stole dominion of this earth from Adam and humanity... God promised right then a deliverer who would come and redeem humanity and destroy the enemy Satan. If you all remember, he said that the seed of the woman, right? The seed of the woman is going to destroy the seed of the serpent, which is Satan, right? He said, you're going to bruise his heel and he's going to wound your head. Head wounds were always mortal. In other words, he's saying, you're going to hurt him, but he's going to destroy you. And that was a reference of Jesus Christ in Calvary. If that makes sense, say amen. Wasn't Jesus wounded at Calvary? But at Calvary was where he defeated Satan. All right, now, in the Gospels, in the Gospels, all right, so in Genesis, Satan, Satan stole dominion of the earth from Adam and humanity. God promised right then a deliverer that would come and redeem humanity and destroy the enemy, Satan. In the Gospels, in the Gospels, we find that Calvary, Calvary on the cross, is where Jesus Christ, God's Son, paid, paid. That's important. He paid the redemption price for man and all of creation. Now, how do we know that? The Bible says you're not redeemed. What does redeem mean? Paid for, bought, Purchased. You're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold that you received by vain uh, 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 tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. Now, it was Calvary where Jesus paid for everything. It was Calvary where Jesus paid and redeemed me and redeemed this earth that had been taken. All right, but did he take possession? No. Calvary's where he paid for it. But the full process of redemption has not taken place yet because it does not take place fully till he takes possession of it. Y'all remember at the grocery store, you bought it, but you haven't taken... Well, that is the book of Revelation. The Gospels is where he pays for everything. The book of Revelation is where he takes possession of everything if that makes sense say amen all right now 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 all right the book of revelation is the revealing of the final acts of the process of redemption which he is taking possession of what has been previously purchased at calvary all right but the thing is satan's not going to just turn over and let him do it He's not just going to give up what he has stolen and will put up a demonic fight against God's promised deliverer. The revelation of Jesus is broken down into three parts so you will know. Number one, he is on the throne and he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. Number two, he knows and loves his church and has a plan for it. Number three, He will judge sin and unrepentant sinners, defeat Satan, and establish his promised kingdom with the restored Israel and Jerusalem as the capital of the world. Say amen. Amen. Here's the conclusion. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is worthy. And Jesus is Lord. Give him praise and glory. So, the best way really to get a a, a grip on what's taking place, I know there's a lot of typology, I know there's a lot of pictures, and I know there's a lot, but the bottom line is the bottom line is the most simplest way to put this is in the Gospels, we find where Jesus paid and redeemed it and bought it back. Adam lost it, but Jesus paid for it. He redeemed it, he bought it back with his own blood. And in the book of Revelation, during the seven years of tribulation, is where Jesus is coming to take possession of what he bought on the cross. Everybody good? All right. Well, let's pray we're five minutes late. Lord Jesus, thank you so much.